This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 uh, for just a little while. Uh, just a few words I want to lead us through in this passage. But I'd like to, to ask God's continued blessing upon this time we have together. God, I'm so thankful to have men and women who have varied expressions of what it looks like for them to extend the gospel and to do so graciously and loving, lovingly. God, I'm thankful for the, the call, as Jake said, you've placed upon all of our lives to, to go and to be going, to be caught up in the midst of what it is to extend the gospel. And Father, I pray that you would burden each of our hearts for the lost people we encounter in the office, in the parking lot, in the checkout line at Walmart in our families, in our neighborhoods, all the various places that you superintend for us to be. You bring lost people across our paths. You bring men and women with heavy hearts, overburdened. And you are equipping us and sending us to minister to them, to love them, to show them your great love for them through Jesus Christ, his shed blood, his atoning sacrifice. God, would you help us to be bold and gracious? Would you help us to live lives fully in submission to you? Not looking at what is primarily an increase of ease and satisfaction for us, but what places us ultimately in obedience to you. Father, we pray for the other churches of our community. This too would be their heartbeat, that they too would live lives fully surrendered to you, on fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would see lostness pushed back within Hunt County in Greenville, Texas. Father, today is, is we recognize and observe the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And we just see the, such an amazing opportunity to be light in the midst of tremendous darkness, millions upon millions of lives aborted and lost souls deeply loved by you. God, help us be to those women who've made the decision to pursue an abortion, a gracious, loving, and compassionate voice. We would cry with them. We would mourn with them. That we would lovingly and graciously extend the gospel to them. We would not for a minute be caught up and captivated in any sense of high and righteous judgment, but we would be broken at the significant loss of life and our relative indifference to it. God, would you plant in our minds ways that we might go into that community that has a varying different ideology than we do, has differences of opinion of when life begins or its value or its worth. Would you give us opportunity to speak into that, to love those who disagree with us, love them deeply in you. We would not seek to win them to more convincing arguments, but they might be won by your love. God, would you show us what it is to follow you? Would you show us what it is to submit ourselves to you? Would you be with us in these next moments as we begin to look and focus just for a moment or two on Christian community? And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Friends, this morning we're going to take just a few minutes to look at the idea of 
of Christian community. One of the things that, that I really hope you heard this morning across this panel is that communicating the gospel is not something that primarily happens out there, remote and distant. I know when Valerie and I were getting ready to go overseas, I kid you not, I had folks that came up to me that said, I'm so glad you're going so I don't have to. As if like, I was their stand-in for responsibility in Christianity. I mean, I, I had a guy tell me this at the end of a church service. He's like, I'm so glad that you're going so I can stay here and kind of be a, you know, you know, back scene or, or back, back of the stage kind of guy. And so you remove, this is continuing the conversation in my head, you remove all responsibility I have to go and to serve. Well, I certainly hope that guy was serving within his sphere. And what he was trying to communicate to me was he was glad God had laid it on my heart to go and to reach the lost. I certainly hope that's what he was seeking to communicate. But what I recognize in, in a lot of us, and I see, my, see this in myself at times, is this, this dichotomy that I create in my mind, the separation that I create in my, my mind between going and kind of doing an extension of the gospel out there and then what it is to live the gospel either in here or in our, in our homes kind of interiorly. And so as I was reading and really studying, and, and God, what would you have us as a congregation look at and know as we approach the idea of, of, of us going and us sharing the gospel? God led me in my heart to this passage here in Romans 12. And I'm convinced that the reason he led me in my heart to this passage is because it gives us this wonderful picture of the Christian community. What it does is it gives us a picture of a community who is captivated and caught up in the midst of going. And so it describes the interior requirements of one who would ultimately go. Because what it looks at is what happens when the effects of the gospel lay hold of my heart. And it transforms the internal manifestation of our homes, of our churches, of all the various places that our personality and presence is felt. And I believe what we will see is that when our homes, when our hearts, when those places where our personality and presence is felt begin to take this shape, that we will begin to see even those structures be redemptive. So let's work through this here. Starting in verse 9, we're going to go through verse 16. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. And then lastly, he says, never be wise in your own sight. The Christian community, I would argue, is really typified or revealed to be within this passage as being three things. Number one, it is loving. Number two, it is selfless. And number three, it is empathetic. So the Christian community is this, is this loving community. Look at how he begins there in verse nine. He says, let love be genuine. And so the amazing thing in there is that he uses this word, which says, let love be non-hypocritical. 
And so love is this thing which finds us completely investing ourselves in the lives of those around us. So it's not me just going to Nathan and knowing his name, but I know something about him. I know his struggles. I know the things he wishes were true for his life and those things that are currently not true. And so I know Tim and I know Stacy, and I find myself being fully engaged into these people. To love someone is to know them and to allow them to know you. And that's why we recognize that hypocrisy absolutely destroys any opportunity to love hypocrisy sees us going in and saying i'm perfect everything about me is perfect you're clearly not but i absolutely am and so no one feels the 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 need for friendship in me and nobody feels the warmth of perception to have relationship with me because i am this person who presents this image of having everything settled and taken care of and perfect Love necessarily means that we must communicate weakness to those around us. We've got to be able to show people, man, I am broken and absolutely so thankful that the redemptive work that God worked in me in salvation is continuing to work in me today. That he's continuing to reveal to me that there are certain things in me that are sinful, that are not glorifying to him. And so for love to be genuine, it can't be hypocritical. Look at what he says here next. Along this idea that a Christian community has to be loving, he says, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil. We need to hate those things that are evil. And so in some sense, this is an easy thing for us to do outwardly, right? So we see people that have an ideology, a a perspective, an opinion different than we do. So maybe uh, since today's the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, you look out and you say that anyone who performs or has had an abortion in the past, they are evil, they are heinous. And so you pour out all this vitriol, all this hate on them, and all of your hate is situated on them, and you are characterizing them as being this hateful, awful, terrible person. And then you look at yourself and say, this is not me, I'm so much better than they are. So you hate this evil in them. You're not seeking to be redemptive. You're not seeking to help them. You're not seeking to bring them out of this. You're not seeking to minister to them. All you want to do is characterize their behavior as hateful. Any outward association of a boring evil is somewhat easy for us. But what we do to an amazing degree is this, in essence, it's this domestication of evil. Imagine then if evil were in the image of a boa constrictor. Now, if you own a snake, I just think you're weird if you own snake or mice. We'll talk about that later. I don't think those are acceptable pets. Neither are cats, dogs, or, but I digress. And so let's just say for, for arguments that there's a boa constrictor, and this thing is also poisonous. And you go to the pet store, and you're like, what you got that's dangerous? And they're like, we got a poisonous boa constrictor. You're like, yeah, bring that home. I'm going to give him to Teddy. He's a two-year-old. He loves things to hold him tight and lick him. Right? That's just stupid. That's stupid. But in essence, this is what we do with evil. This is what we do with sin. We bring it in and we domesticate it. We bring it in to our inmost being and we say it's okay, it's safe, and we think we've put strictures over it. There is no way to domesticate evil. There's no way to bring sin in to make it okay. It will destroy your relationship with God. It will destroy your relationship with those around you. So we have to abhor evil internally. Man, we have to have people in our lives that will go up and say, man, like I hear the way you talk to your wife, I hear the way you talk to your kids, I see you looking at this content. Man, I saw you out the other night and you were just staggering, slobbering drunk. It's not good for you, that's not good for your witness in Christ. 
one of the ways we abhor what is evil is by being so involved and enmeshed in the lives of those around us that we're drawing that evil out of them and they're drawing that evil out of us. He says you need to hold fast to what is good. But the word he uses here is this absolutely super glue bond between us and what is good. That anywhere we go, we're pulling this idea of what is good along with us. And anywhere where what is good is found, we are there because we are so tightly bonded to what is good. And so we abstain, we keep a long distance between what is evil. And what is good is almost synonymous with who we are. People begin to recognize good but by our involvement and our investment in it. And this is the picture he gives us here. This is what it is to be loving. And then he says, love one another with brotherly affection. Within Christianity, if you are redeemed by Christ, if you have confessed your sin to him, if you have said Jesus died and was raised again on the third day, he sits exalted at the the right hand of the Father, if you are saved, this is your testimony, then you're part of a large family. You might be born an only child, you might be a widow or a widower, but you have many brothers and sisters in Christ, and they aren't just in this church. They span the globe They go by various names, Methodist, Episcopalian, Anglican, Catholic. And so what we see ourselves in the midst of this is being extending brotherly love towards them. We are supporting one another. This is what it is to be loving. But he also talks about the idea of what it is to be selfless. Look at this first thing he says here. Outdo one another in showing honor. We need to be captivated and caught up in the idea that my primary investment and exertion of energy is showing the honor that Jason has in his life, that Justin has in his life, that Melanie has in her life. And so I I want to see Christ completely exalted in their lives. I want to see their lives shine so incredibly bright that my life looks dim in comparison. And we need to outdo one another in this pursuit. Outdoing one another and showing honor is not seeking to exalt me. It's not seeking to exalt self. Like almost any time where we see somebody stand up and they say, look how good, great, and wonderful I am. What they're doing is damage to unity, and they're certainly not pursuing what it is to show honor to one another. This idea of outdoing one another, effectively, we're all enrolled in this colossal competition that spans the world, that envelops all of Christendom. And what we want to do is see Christ more significantly exalted in the lives of everyone we encounter than we do our own. We need to outdo one another in showing honor. And to all those that would seek to sit on the couch and not be involved and invested, look what he goes to next. He says, don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. To be selfless, it's it's not just this idea of of kind of saying, oh yeah, I'll go along with whatever you guys want to do. To be selfless looks at us advocating the role of somebody else. But when he comes into this, he says, don't be slothful. Don't be lazy. Don't be this couch potato Christian who's not involved and invested in the lives of those around you. Get up off your backside and get in. Get involved in this. Don't be slothful. It says, be fervent in the spirit and serve the Lord. If you find yourself as lazy, there's no core, there is no uh, ability within the Christian life to be lazy and to serve the Lord. Do you see how these things are opposites? Earlier, Chase proved another opposite that's not true. You can actually be a Christian and a lawyer. Who knew? <laughs> but you can't actually be lazy and serve the Lord. Because to be lazy, you're serving your own passions. You're serving your own desires you're serving your own selfishness 
So to counterman this, he says, don't be slothful in zeal, serve the Lord. He goes on, he says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Look what he says here. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Would it surprise you to hear that your finances belong to God? Would it surprise you to hear that God has given you those finances so you can serve those around you? God calls on us. He gives us money, time, talent for his service. And one of the ways we serve him, according to Paul here in Romans 12, 13, is to contribute to the needs of the saints. We find brothers and sisters in need and we help. It's not always money. Sometimes it's advice. Sometimes it's time. And we give our time to them. We take them for a cup of coffee. We meet in their home. We invite them into our home. And this is really what he rolls into the next. Seek to show hospitality. I don't know if you caught this, but in what Marie said and what Kieran said, and even in this foreign context, what we heard over and again was the idea of, man, our home is a place to display the gospel. Your home is a place to display the gospel. You live in a rat hole apartment, and it is a place to display the gospel. You live in a palatial estate, and it is a place to display the gospel. Anywhere you live is a place for the gospel to be at home and for you to invite people that they might see what it looks like for redemption to be at work in a home. That's not cleaning it up. That's not making it look great. That's inviting people over and your kid have mud mustaches and you got dirty stuff all over the house. They see how you live. This is your house, not mine. Right? We need to invite people into to what it is to actually be in life with us, not life on this perfect Norman Rockwell day. We need to seek to show hospitality. That's what it is to be selfless. He moves into this next one. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Every chance that we get more opportunity to do this, to bless those who persecute us. There's every opportunity for us to encounter those who are persecuting us. They belittle you because of your faith. They belittle you because of some conviction you have. They belittle you because of how you spend your money. They belittle you because of things you will or won't do. Man, every opportunity to turn to those people and bless them, to pray for them, to intercede for God on their behalf. Their hatred towards you poured out in their words and their actions are an indication of the need they have in their hearts for the great love of our God, amen? He says, bless them, don't curse them. Don't want bad things for them. Don't pray bad things for them. Pray good things for them. Let's look at this last aspect of what it is for a Christian community to be empathetic. This isn't joining with somebody in their pain. This is joining alongside them in their pain. So this isn't taking on their pain and removing it from them, but it's, it's being with them in the midst of this. And look what he describes it as. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. This is easy, right? You find somebody who is just having a stellar week, a stellar uh, month, their year is going well. They just had a, a new child. They just got a promotion. They're moving into a bigger house. They're driving a faster car, and they buy lunch more often. Like, this is the guy, this is the girl who you want to spend time with, right? You want to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Like, I'm right there with you. I look around, I'm like, got a happy person. Got a, whoa, skip it over them. Got a happy person. Whoa. And so what we do, what we tend to do is we find those who are smiling and happy and we say, man, let's, let's get together. Let's go to lunch. Let's go hang out. Let's have a good time. But when we see those who are weeping, it makes me uncomfortable. I'll be perfectly honest. If I see you crying, whoa, 
I don't know how to handle it when people cry around me. Like for a long time, this is my mantra. I'd have people that come in my office, they'd walk out crying, and I'd be like, not my fault. I swear they were crying when they came in, not my fault. I didn't do this. I don't know how this happened. So when we see people that are sorrowful, people that are sad, our response is, is likely, what was that? Our response is likely, I don't know how to fix this. You need a tissue or something? But this is not what it is to weep with those who weep. We're thoroughly ingrained and invested in people's lives. To hear them recount the sorrow they go through makes us cry. We're thoroughly involved and invested in the lives of those around us. When they describe something amazing, it makes us rejoice for them. Somebody comes and they meet with you and you've been praying for their spouse for a number of years and you begin to see their spouse's heart being warm for the gospel. This makes us rejoice when we are involved and invested in the lives of somebody and then they begin to tell us that, that, man, I've got cancer. There's no treatment for it and I just don't know what I can do. We begin to weep with them. We don't have to be prompted. We don't have to see their tears because our hearts are so united with them. This is what it is to be empathetic. We experience this with them. This is Christian community. It says live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty. Don't think you're better than everybody else around you. But associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own sight. It's not talking about a socioeconomic ladder where we see the rich people in our church come alongside the poor people. It's talking about those people that are poor in spirit. Jesus goes on to say that, that such is the king. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. We want to be identifying with the lowly because they have something we can provide. And someday you too will be lowly. And you'll want those same people to come alongside you and to lift you up. I can tell you when we lived in when we lived in Prague, we were in a community that was less than one percent evangelical. Less than one percent described themselves as Christian, had any type of manifestation of Christianity. So when we planted a church in this context, we recognized that the language we were speaking and sharing the gospel made no sense to anybody, right? They're like Christianity is something that happened here hundreds of years ago. It's dead. Did you not get the memo? And so what we did is we purposed to go out and to boldly display Christian community, Christian character. And so we sought to be loving, we sought to be selfless, and we sought to display what it is to be empathetic. And so we went out and we go into in communities and in neighborhoods and we would pick trash up in apartment complexes. And we have Easter egg hunts and we give food to the homeless and, and we do all these things. We do English classes. We adopted uh, uh, women who had come into a, a hospital and deliver a baby who didn't have anyone to provide for them. We provided baby bags for these because what we wanted them to see was that there is something in us that wants to see us invested in the lives of those around us that the gospel would come to bear and be displayed by us for them. And so over the long haul of doing this, what we began to see is that lost people love spending time with us. I mean, they just love spending time with us, and who wouldn't? We were good, great, and wonderful folks, and we did fun things, and we made a real difference in the communities and where we were living. But as they came along, and they said, look, we don't believe what you believe, but you guys are doing something here. You're changing something here. And they began to be invested, and they began to join us in this endeavor. And so we'd say, hey, look, we gather on Sunday nights, and we, we read the Bible, and we talk about it, and we sing some songs. And they said, well, why would you do that? It seems like a perfectly good waste of a Sunday night. And we said, because we're Christians. This is what we do. 
We gather together, we encourage one another, and we study God's word. And so some of them just wanted to practice their English, and so they would come out and they would join us in this setting. One woman in particular who thought we were cult members because we were so close. She came out and she played the keyboard for us. Every week, she's like, I don't know these songs, but they're easy enough. That's me playing keyboard. (laughs) And so what we saw is these folks that loved our community, they loved what they saw there. And they started joining us in in attendance to, to study the word and they began to hear us describe what the gospel is. Begin to see these people come to know Jesus. Our community can be redemptive. Part of what it means for us to go is that interiorly we show certain things. And then amidst of doing that, and we do that not just in this building, but everywhere God carries us, our community, a loving, selfless, empathetic, spirit-led community will be redemptive. Let me pray for us. Father God, would you lead us as we go? Would you guide us along the way? God, we recognize that there are impediments to culture, our pride, our selfishness. And so God, I pray that you would break us to those things, that you would help us submit ourselves to you. You would lead us to go forward in graciousness. Father God, I just thank you for your goodness to us this morning, for the ways that you have spoken to my heart and the hearts of those in this room. I pray for your spirit that it would continue to guide and direct us in all things. So God, we entrust ourselves to your spirit, praying that your spirit would give to us concrete expressions of our faith, concrete ways that we might serve you. God, that you would Give us some sense of what it means to commit to a local body and a manifestation of the Christian community. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And as we now begin to turn our hearts in worship, pray that your spirit would begin to make application to our hearts. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Friends, let me ask you to stand as we enter into a time of application response. That as we boldly declare the goodness of our Lord Jesus, that we would be obedient to respond in the way that he leads.